This is your host Shane with another exciting episode of Radical Rocks. Today we're going to talk about dioptase, we're going to talk about the blue-eyed bead, burl, and so much more. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at radical rocks. There were fossils, minerals, and rocks and things. There were sand, hills, and rings. First thing I found was a geocrystal, quartz with no clouds. Agate was hot and the ground was hard, but the gems were there to be found. See, I've been through the desert, found a rock with no name, felt good to have in my hand. In the desert, you can find lots of rocks, cause radical rocks are everywhere. That's right. Radical rocks are everywhere. Today we're going to talk about igneous rocks, how they're formed. Uh, We'll talk about treasures from Germany, uh, fossils, different fossil stories, mummified crocodiles, opal, uh, rare diamonds, the last ones being bought up. We'll talk about burl, uh, different aspects of it, the biggest pearl in the world, the blue-eyed bead. Uh, uh, excuse me, dioptase, and so much more. So let's get right into that. Um, I want to thank everybody for liking and subscribing to our YouTube channel. At uh, just look up Radical Rocks, will show up. I'd like to thank you all for subscribing to the podcast, which is completely different. So you get different information from the podcast than you do from the videos. And also, uh, you can join us on social media. We've got a huge presence on MeWe. Just look up Radical Rocks. And we've got a uh, good presence in a a Facebook group, Radical Rocks, uh, as well, if that's something you're interested in. Get connected. Thank you for all of your comments. We've been getting a lot of comments from different folks, so thank you for that. And... um, We always try to get back to those as soon as possible, so we appreciate that. So first off, the GIA tells us about some interesting rocks, and I didn't even mention this in the the introduction, but if you subscribe to the GIA, they will send you different classes that they have, um, wonderful classes, some of them online. They talk about uh, garnet which happens to be January's birthstone, usually thought of as a dark red gem, but it comes in all sorts of colors. They've got one here that's cut in such a way, it's mostly green, but it has these uh, cubicle lines staggering of different colors from blue to yellows to kind of a silvers and red, even a little hint of red in there. It looks like it's picking up some some spectrums of the rainbow, of the light, out of the light. But uh, there's green, uh, there's Demetroid, there is all sorts of optical phenomenons that happen, such as color change, uh, stars, cat's eyes, um, iridescent colors, as we've spoken of, and a bunch of other wonderful things that you can find with the garnet and you can learn more from them just go to the GIA website Um, also the natural diamond they talk about the natural diamond and one that I thought that was real pretty 
We've talked about it before recently, the yellow topaz from Germany. They have here a picture of a wonderful specimen that is 71.31 carat crystal. Beautiful, rounded with this terminated tip, yellow topaz from the Schernickstein Krag in western Saxony, Germany. This was once sought after by kings. The mining started there in 1727 with the first specimens being collected by Augustus the Strong. In, uh, he was alive in the 1600s to the early 1700s. And then his son, Friedrich Augustine II, who also was born just at the end of uh, the 1600s, 1696, and lived on to about six, uh, 1763, he commissioned several objects of art, basically, made with these yellow topaz crystals. Also, George III of Great Britain and Ireland in the 1700s to the early 1800s commissioned a crown set with Saxony topaz for his wife, Charlotte, to celebrate their coronation in 1761. But the crown is presumed lost. So you can find out more about this uh, wonderful gem. They will tell you about its chemical composition. Um, also, how you would look for the properties of it if using a spectroscope for analyzing it at that level. So this is a really good uh, email that you can subscribe to if you want. Do that. Add that to your knowledge base. How to identify different minerals and exploring different techniques used for mineral identification is something of interest to all rock hounds and mineral buffs. If you go to lihpao.com, they will tell you under their uh, articles called The Enlightened Mindset, exactly how to do that. Happy Share is accredited with this article, so it doesn't sound like uh, anyone particular, but they give you an introduction, very basic, exploring the different techniques of identifying minerals. This is kind of at the 10,000 foot level. Basically, if you haven't heard this before, the physical properties are color, luster, streak, hardness, and cleavage, and fracture. These are characteristics that are used to identify Minerals, also flame tests, specific gravity tests, and other things. Specific gravity tests, if you're not familiar with that, it's basically its density compared to water. So, um, like, for instance, gold has a very high specific uh, gravity. So it, it displaces water like 19 times by, a power, by the factor of 19. But something light like pumice is has uh, a much lower, and so it floats on water, right? So specific gravity is almost negative, right? It's it's zero. Okay, so color is one of the physical properties that we look at first. It's what we see. Um, so classify the minerals, and then um, go through and observe these different properties. The color may tell you something. Um, a lot of times that can, uh, can fool you, but color can also be analyzed by the streak test. We've talked about that. That's where you scratch the mineral on the back of uh, like a tile, a hard tile, like a porcelain. Um, and you can use black or white. 
uh, to see the streak. If it's a white streak, you're not going to see it on white. So you need a black, uh, you know, piece of slate or something like that to, to scratch it on or the back of a black tile. So you will look for whether it is metallic or non-metallic. If it has a earthy luster, uh, if it's sandy type, or if it's shiny, like glass. Um, hardness scale is another indication. How hard is it? Is it soft like talcum powder? Is it hard like a diamond? There's different tests that you can do. If you look at our videos, I've talked about that before. Some of our earliest videos, we go through how to test and we go through buckets and um, buckets of rocks and just identify with basic tests how to do that. There's also chemical tests. These are kits you can buy. Um, sometimes you can use a flame test. Sometimes you might uh, observe the color of a flame in, a, in different types of flames. So there's a lot of different things that you can use. Scientists typically use uh, all of these characteristics in addition to that, uh, they will use the spectrograph where they take very fine layers of this mineral, um, tiny, tiny pieces to analyze what type of mineral it is by the colors that it gives off. Um, you can buy kits to identify minerals apparently, which would include a streak plate and uh, maybe some other things for hardness. And then there's also acid tests that can be done and kits that would explain the flame test. Sometimes the flame test is done on charcoal, uh, can also be done with different minerals that are put on top, and you would follow their directions to be able to identify that. That's, that's a, a pretty big conversation. Maybe we should dig into that sometime. I haven't, I haven't fooled with that since I used to go gold mining. But, uh, so you have all these other things. Also, scientists can use uh, advanced X-ray diffraction in spectro spectroscopic, uh, which that's what they use usually in these little uh, landers on Mars to be able to identify what type of minerals in there. They use a spectrograph. They have X-ray, microscopic X-ray diffraction. All these things determine different different parts of the mineral, whether it be the crystal structure um, or Inferred spectroscopic is used for uh, also along with absorption of inferred radiation that can tell certain things about the mineral. An electron microscope can be used to find surface features under high magnification. These are also used on landers, not, not an electron microscope, but kind of like a mini version of it. So all of these things can go into identifying a mineral. If you want to find out about that, again, that's on lihpao.com. All right, bloodstone. This is a stone that's popping up a lot. Um, I'm not going to go into this too much, but if you want to go to mindbodygreen.com, um, Helen Loki Thompson goes into a lot of the metaphysics of the stone, but it is a beautiful green stone with little droplets of red. Um, therefore, it is called a bloodstone. Uh, it is a, they call it a crystal, but it is not really truly a crystal. It's a gemstone, but this is something that uh, is common in the, um, the crystal worshiping crowd is they will call them crystals, but it's not. It's really a rock. Um, they can 
a lot sometimes be shaped into a crystal shape but uh, the bloodstone is a pretty one to work with makes nice jewelry this is a heliotrope which means or heliotrope i think it's trope though it is a crystalline mixture of quartz that occurs as jasper and and or chalcedony um, bloodstone is typically dark green color with telltale red inclusions of hematite which look like spots of blood making the name uh, giving the reason for the name so you can go into more of this if you want to find out a little history on it the early roman philosopher uh, piliny the elder one of the oldest known uh, philosophers and stone writers claimed that bloodstone was uh, something that could give you invisibility yeah i don't think that's going to work the stone of babylon it is sometimes called because they felt uh, ancient Babylonians believed it was so powerful and magical uh, that it could import artifacts like seals. They would make uh, important artifacts out of it like seals and amulets. They believed that it could actually control the weather. So there's some interesting things about bloodstone. It can be found all around the world in the U.S., Brazil, India, Australia, Germany, Italy, and South Africa are some of the most well-known places that you can find bloodstone. Our friends at Rock and Gem, you can subscribe to their email uh, or their magazine. You should get the magazine. They have 2023 Rockhound holidays. It almost makes me want to cry because I want to. I want to go. It makes me think about quartzite in January. But here are some of the hot uh, holidays that are attributed to uh, us Rockhounds, directly or indirectly. Old Rock Day, January 7th, the day is set aside. Uh, nobody knows how long, but this is about the earth. And it has to do with who we just talked about, Pilony the Elder, who was uh, big with the bloodstone that we just talked about. So uh, he gets credited to how rocks shape our lives, at least from a metaphysical standpoint. National Jewelry Day, March 13th. Special day set aside to appreciate precious stones and jewelry. Earliest examples of this include bone, shell, and other types of jewelry. All the way to the most intricate and fancy, smancy designs of today. Let's see. Geologist Day, April 2nd. This day is dedicated to folks who d explore and study and make uh, these meaningful parts of our life protecting us uh, possibly for they study the way rocks are formed and get all the way into erosion and things like that so very very important they are looking for useful elements that we need for everyday items like toothpaste cell phones and the new green deal that uh, is demanding so many minerals geologists are going to be the ones that uh, are key in finding this and analyzing and making it happen. Earth Day, April 22nd. Everybody knows about Earth Day. It's a day to appreciate the treasures of the earth. Nickel Day, May 16th. This is dedicated to nickel, the metal that is very important. It's used in uh, a lot of warfare, unfortunately. Also very important for batteries and has been used by humans for some 2,000 years, but hasn't become readily used until the 19th century. Dinosaur Days, May 15th and June 1st. 
all about dinosaurs. It's a day to celebrate that. National Caves and Curris Day. Uh, this is a day dedicated to amazing rock formations, which we know as caves. If you are a spelunker, that means you enjoy exploring caves. Um, some of those who are familiar with the Curist landscapes is characterized by rocky hills, aquifers, springs, sinkholes, and caves all underground. Hundreds of different minerals and gems are found in caves. 40% of drinking water in USA comes from these Karast aquifers, huge openings in the earth that hold water. World Ocean Day, June 8th. The beach finds are shells, rocks, minerals, sea glass is a favorite. Always something you can find in America. International Drop a Rock Day, just don't drop it on your foot. This is a day where families, groups, organizations, and people paint rocks with pictures, themed messages, hide them. We've heard of this where people will find a rock and uh, maybe win a prize or something. International Rock Day, July 13th, sometimes referred to as World Rock Day. Celebrate the importance of rocks to humankind. All the aspects of rocks dealing with human survival. Pet Rock Day, September 3rd. Get a leash and take your rock out for a walk. Collect Rocks Days. September 16th, since 2015, Collect Rocks Days, I can't believe this wasn't invented in the 60s or 70s, celebrates all the diverse types of rocks all over, how they can be collected no matter where you live in the world. Celebrating the earth and geology is for everyone. International Fossil Day, October 11th, there are approximately 250,000 different fossil species that have been identified, and it is estimated that millions more remain to be found. And we'll talk about a few of those fossils today. All right, let's see what's next. Tiffany's, they buy some of the legendary diamonds from a mine's last finds. This is the Argyle Diamond Mine in Australia. If you don't know what an Argyle Diamond is, that they're famous for the pink diamonds. This is where most of the pink diamonds have been found, the most desired ones, and even red, the rarest, most valuable diamond that you can find. Argyle Diamond Mines in Australia, there's a collection of these beautiful diamonds that came out in 2020. Tiffany's purchased about 35 diamonds. These are the very last ones taken from the mine. Rachel uh, Felder tells us about this at nytimes.com and she explains here that these diamonds are very rare even though these are smaller diamonds they're very rare we don't know how much Tiffany paid for them but they have an unusually rare color very rare and scarce the beauty is gorgeous says Victoria Reynolds Tiffany's ch chief gemologist the carats are ranging from 0.35 to 1.52 carats, just over a carat and a half. And um, again, these are very rare. These will be commissioned in jewelry that they are yet to release. Tiffany's is competing with many other companies for high-end jewelry. So they feel that having these highly prized diamonds, very unusual diamonds, this is going to uh, catapult them 
back to their original number one place in the high-end jewelry category, place to go, place to go. So they will be, they sell some of these. They have a 0.22 carat set of simple diamond solitary earrings that sell for $1,250. These aren't even, uh, these aren't even pink. These are just regular diamonds. And then they have an argyle pink where there are 0.5 carats in each diamond, this pair, and they're priced at $28,000. So you can see the price difference. For a set of just uh, white diamonds or other diamonds, you've got, you're paying, you know, 1200 bucks. But for tiny, tiny little argyle pinks, you're paying 28000 bucks. So huge, huge deal. Um, they estimate the purchase uh, could be, let's see, the purchase seems to be not about sales, but, okay, so their complete sale has been $15.8 billion. Wow, that's a lot of money, a lot of money for sales. So I didn't know Tiffany's put out that much jewelry, but apparently they do, according to this article, what I'm reading. All right, Rainbow Peacock. What are What is that? These are opals. We talk about opals a lot. Opals are a favorite. I did a poll uh, a couple years ago. What, what was everybody's favorite stone? And for a long time, everybody sided with me on turquoise because I spit out turquoise. But then opal, just everybody jumped on the opal bandwagon. And it's obvious opal is a favorite. And it's not because of its durability, because raw opal and opal is very fragile. It can crack. Even just the heat can make it crack. Um, if you have opal, be sure to learn how to take care of it. You can keep opals in water. That's one way. Um, I would soak them in water and then put um, some sort of an uh, oil or Vaseline on them to keep the water in them so they don't dry out if you're going to wear them. They crack very easy if you hit a corner. This is not everyday jewelry to wear for sure. Well, this story here tells us about La Trinidad, Mexico, Hector Montez. We've read about him before. Um, this article is a little different, though. It seems like it goes into a little bit more really neat detail about the mining and stuff like that. But he mines these beautiful opals, rainbows and peacocks. More colors and opal flashes and intense colors are found there, and that also contributes to the value. Um, Janelle Conaway tells us about this. Tells us about this at the New York You can read all about it. Uh, we're not going to get into a lot of detail on the article. It is quite lengthy, but this opal mine's been in Henry's family since uh, 1894, and uh, they are mining it. It's very profitable. They do slow down when the drug cartel gets uh, too powerful and um, they start, you know, just trying to take over everything. They do kind of uh, dial it down at that time. They show pictures of the mine here, them down in there mining. These thin little um, layers of opal are found as they dig through the ancient layers of rhyolite and they have to remove about 10 tons of rock and they might find about a kilogram, which is approximately 2.2 pounds 
of opals that they can start to go through. Now, just because they find 2.2 pounds of opal or a kilogram of opals doesn't mean that's how much they get, they end up with, you know, because um, some of them are cracked, some of them break, they have to shape these and cut them. They try to utilize them the best they can. Um, Ethiopia is a major production uh, and so is Australia. Mexico is not the major produ producer at all. They only account for about 4% of the loose opals uh, that are sold in the world. 72% come from Australia and about 20% come from Ethiopia. Uh, the Willa Mine is a famous one of Ethiopia. I have some of those opals, they're very beautiful. I have Australian opals and Mexican opals too. They're all beautiful um, and all have their uh, different things that they're famous for. Mexican opals can come in many, many different colors. The reddish, orangish opals that uh, do flash all the colors of the rainbow are used to be the rare, desirable Mexican opals that everybody was looking for. But uh, the opals that I'm seeing coming from his mine are all different colors, beautiful. They have a palette of yellows, oranges, reds, indicating the presence of iron. Mexico is known internationally for its precious fine opals, fire opals with vivid play of color. Um, pretty, pretty nice. Fernando Montes says for every kilogram of opals his family is mining, there may be just one gram of fire opals. So, yeah, it takes time. Um, they've got some beautiful orangish opals here. Don't look like they have a lot of fire, but they might. Um, the red to orange body color with a play of color, again, he reiterates that that is very, very valuable. Jewels on fire, yes. Yeah, the article goes on and on and on. I'm gonna leave it at that. Very interesting. How are igneous rocks formed? Well, um, our friend Gail Baker Nelson tells us at a-z-animals.com all about it. Um, you will get a lot of information from this article if you want to look it up. Um, igneous rocks, what are they? The, the word means, igneous rock means fire-born. They are fire-born. So we know that uh, they, they are from lava that solidifies. We've talked about this recently. So we'll just uh, go over this really quick. Some of the types uh, of this magma that cools, it cools under pressure, underground, with moisture, with other minerals. Um, or in a flow, it, some of it cools slowly, quickly, some of it salts, you know, um, it goes into the water. All these different things happen to the magma. Intrusive ones are ones that are, are, are uh, inclusive, I mean, is ones that are very deep in the earth. These are the ones that are going to cool slowly because they're down in the earth deep. They usually have the crystals, structures, um, very beautiful. You've got uh, diabase, which is finely grained and dark colored. You'll find labradite um, and peroxine minerals and various amounts of quartz, hornblende, olivine, and magnetite in this. You'll also find granite, which is usually feldspar and quartz, and peridot, a coarsely grained dense rock consisting of mostly olivine. Intrusive rocks they don't have a lot as much time to cool. They expel forcefully from volcanoes. And because of these, these rocks 
um, are named after Vulcan, the Roman god of fire. These rocks cool very quickly, don't have time to form crystals, and sometimes look like glass. Um, these include pumice, obsidian, and rhyolite. Where can you see igneous rocks? Well, the Devil's Tower monument in Wyoming is a huge accumulation of igneous rocks. It uh, Devil's Tower is the biggest example of column, columnar joining in the world. Half Dome in Yosemite Park is another area where granite formed a huge magma bubble that eventually worked its way to the surface. Hawaii Volcanoes National Park is legendary. Uh, they erupt regularly, lava flows slowly, and builds the island as it destroys everything in its path. Mount St. Helens near Washington this uh, had a huge eruption in the 80s and uh, boring lava field in Wilmot, Oregon. Volcanic vents are clustered in groups, three to six that erupted similar types of lava over relatively short, short spans. Igneous rocks are pretty easy to find because the earth was partly shaped by volcanic forces and tectonic plates that hold up the continents are in constant motion, shaping and moving things slowly, so we don't see the changes unless something drastic happens. So these are all happening little by little. So check that article out if you want to go into more detail. Now I'd like to tell you a little bit about dioptase. Um, dioptase is a beautiful natural specimen. Uh, this was emailed to me from toprocks.com. Uh, they actually are selling this mineral. Uh, they have a museum-sized specimen here. It is a dark, almost a, almost an iridescent, hinting of iridescent green type color. Diaptase is an exceptionally rare mineral specimen. Um, Diaptase is renowned for its bright emerald green crystals. They glisten a druzy, sugary, classic cubic or the rare prismatic forms. This specimen that uh, they have here on this photograph, if you look this up, has uh, the largest, they believe it's the largest dioptase specimen ever mined in Africa, potentially. It has a stunning, shiny emerald green crystals all over it, and uh, it's worth putting in a museum, they say. Dioptase from the Congo, in Brazzerville in 2019, they yielded some of the best museum quality pieces of crystallized dioptase specimens seen in many decades. A handful of specimens are associated with bright jimmy yellow mimetite crystals and a boitroidal hydral domes of dioptase. This was a small pocket, which only yielded a handful of specimens, so that would be something to have. Other materials subsequently from Tantra, Tantara, excuse me, Tantara started to appear around 2020. However, the two deposits are different. The crystals from Tantara tend to be less jimmy, but still breathtaking immoral green. The range from microcrystalline druzy style to much larger, more distinctive cubic crystals in complex and dense clusters. Both of these deposits, the Brazzaville and the Tantara, 
have in common is just huge size of specimens. All right, so most places in the world you would be very fortunate to find a small specimen, let alone these specimens weighing several pounds. The size is uh, about 16 and a half by eight and a half by five and a half inches or 420 millimeters by 220 millimeters by 145 millimeters weighing 15.4 kilograms at 33.8 pounds. So these are really beautiful pieces. You can check this out. Again, the, the site is toprocks.com. Just look up uh, Natural Giant Museum Quality Emerald Green Dioptase Specimens from Tantara, Congo. And you can find out more about that and look at all the beautiful specimens they have there. Not a sponsor of the show, so I can't, uh, I cannot, uh, I can't vouch for them. So um, do your own due diligence on that. But some beautiful pictures to look at, I can, I can vouch for that. Harpole treasure, hugely significant medieval discovery in a village in Northampton, is featured on BBC television in a program called Digging for Britain. You can look this up on northamptoncron.co.uk. Logan McLeod tells us all about it. I did talk about this treasure. This was a, uh, a woman, a Christian, very early, around the 7th uh, century, 1,300-year-old uh, finding, they say. And uh, they videotaped it. You can see the videos here if you want. The... The bones are gone, but it, it was a female, and she, as they dug up this beautiful golden necklace, just beautiful gold with all these garnets uh, encrusted in gold, they found that perfect condition, very intricate wire working. They don't even, they're not even sure how this was done at that time. Um, but surprisingly, I think they're going to find that people were much more talented, much more earlier than what scientists and uh, people tried to say. And I just base that off the Bible. But this is an Anglo-Saxon object, very important. Also, they found the hint of some silver in the corner of the coffin, which is kind of decomposing uh, because, like I said, the bones are almost gone. They've just completely turned to powder. And they've x-rayed it and found that it is a huge silver cross. So this is how they indicate this is an early potential uh, important Christian leader in the early Christian foundings of uh, Christianity there. Very interesting. A new plesiosaur specimen or species with hundreds of tiny hooked teeth is discovered in Germany. Um, you can look this up at newswise.com. They've got a video there, and they will show you the fossils. This fossil came out beautifully. It had over 400 teeth. Looks like a comb. This creature was much like a flamingo or a duck, and uh, in the sense that it would waddle through the water or walk through the water and strain shrimp and other types of uh, little food through its teeth. Its name, as you read this article, actually uh, comes from the ancient word that means whale because whales will strain uh, plankton and such through their uh, strainers. They're not really teeth. They're more fibrous, but it's like teeth. 
So uh, really neat. It doesn't look like it's super big. They don't tell me the size of it here in the article, but they said that this animal was found at a very early stage of decay. So they found the joints, the ligaments, all still viable. So I don't know how they can say something's millions and billions of years old when it still has ligaments and joints viable. <laughs> so that's, that's the big conflict on, to me when it comes to the aging process, plus all of the things that have been shown where they make huge mistakes. So it's just really a wild guess. That's, that's the truth. AZ Animals discover the biggest pearl in the world. This baby is worth over $100 million. That sounds pretty neat. So if you go to a-z-animals.com, you're going to see this article. And strangely, they don't have a picture of the pearl, but they talk about where it was found. Um, it is Starfish Island near Puerto Rico. Um, the pearl of Puerto Rico is what they call it. It is a monster. This thing is 2.2 feet long and one foot wide. It weighs 75 pounds. It is a 170,000 carat pearl that surpasses the previous record holder, which was a 14 pound, $35 million pearl um, known as the Pearl of Allah. So this baby is uh, really something else. If you want to find out more about that, you can. They talk about the giant pearls that are found around the world. But uh, this monster was found pretty close um, to, to Puerto Rico there at one of the little islands. The significance of the blue-eyed bead. I thought I had talked about this last week. So if I'm repeating this, I didn't see it in the notes. Um, I apologize. So we'll be real brief on it. But with... Uh, within Nigeria.com tells us the significance of the blue-eyed bead. Samuel David has an article. Many people are writing about this right now, so it seems to be significant in the news cycle. Um, basically, these are usually made out of glass and sold. Um, the eye is uh, all-seeing, so this is thought as of a good luck charm. Uh, protecting you from uh, negative energy. This has a lot of history. I, I don't go into metaphysics and stuff like that much, but I will go into history. And uh, it has a huge history going back uh, many, many thousands of years. And originally uh, originates from India from a type of quartz known for its intense blue color. Nowadays, uh, they may use the mineral in the middle and encase it in glass if it is a very high-end piece, but most of them are just really trinkets and glass and beads. But I thought it was interesting that they originated from quartz findings in India. And what you have is a super dark blue that looks black in the middle as a pupil, and then you have an outer ring of blue, which would be your, your cornea, your color of your eye, and then the white side outside ring, and then it seems that the back half of it is uh, a blue. So you've got super dark, dark blue, baby blue, white, and then kind of a, a blue or a patriot blue, I guess I'd say, would be my best way of matching the color. Mississippi, the Mississippi opal. We've talked about this before too, but at wjtv.com, the Mississippi opal is talked about at Jackson, Mississippi. James Starnes is the go-to guy um, for finding these. Apparently, um, 
Mississippi is only known for fossils, really, and this is exciting for them that these gemstones are showing up. They do seem to be a sandstone-based gemstone, so when you look at them, some of them don't have a lot of fire, but they have a lot of green and yellow in them, little bits of red, but uh, some are more spectacular than others. There's a layer of limestone where they dig down, and apparently this... Uh, uh, opal was formed somewhere between that and the other layer um, in this one particular formation that consists of rock and sandstone. So it could be opal that fell apart and washed in that layer and um, became this opal. But they said it is a gem quality opal and they have a huge piece that's as big as your hand. And they're talking about making this uh, their state gemstones. So they have a Senate bill right now to try to do that. So that's pretty exciting. You can check that out if you want. Again, wjtv.com, Mississippi Opal. Neck experts find a nest. They find actually 92 nests with over 256 fossil eggs in it at oneindia.com. Swati Parkesh tells us all about it. Um, these are from giant... Uh, these are seropods nests, and uh, they are still studying this. They're looking at them and finding out uh, that they, some of them come from a titanosaurus, which is a huge, giant seropod from the late Jurassic period to the end of the Creaceous period. And these titanosauruses have been found on all continents except Antarctica, and I'm sure they're there too. Um, and they are big, very big, as big as whales, some of them. Um, so you can find out about these if you want. They've x-rayed the eggs, and that is how they are finding it. Um, pretty cool. A lot, lot of information there if you want to find out more about that. Mummified crocodile discovery in Egypt in a tomb. If you go to WDTV.com, you can find out about these crocodiles. They've got a video there. Um, CNN has a, an article here by their news source that tells us about it. It was discovered a while back, but now they are finding these five skulls of large crocodiles, and it looks like more than just the skull. They've got a picture here. The bodies are there. And the archaeologists believe these remains were buried as part of a way of honoring the Egyptian god likened to crocodiles. All right. Next. Two large dinosaur fossils unveiled at the Royal uh, George Regional Museum. Marissa Armes tells us all about this at cbsnews.com. They've got a video there too if you want to check that out. But the article says um, that over 300 people attended. They have uh, different bones that were unveiled of these dinosaurs, seropods uh, primarily but uh, other fossils as well. This is uh, in Colorado, which is known for fossils um, to begin with. So that's where it's at if you want to check that out. The UN Alfie Norville Gym and Mineral Museum is well worth the visit. So says the Daily Wildcat at Arizona.edu. You can look this up. And they have uh, Ben Pope here tells us about the jewelry and the tapestry um, and about Tucson. It, this is in Arizona. 
and uh, it is filled with gems and history about the area uh, and uh, how it has progressed over the years. All kinds of walkthrough exhibits and galleries and uh, spectacles to be seen there. So if you want to check that out, go look that one up. And then finally, oh, actually, we're going to talk about gold. We didn't talk about gold, did we? Let me see here. Um, let me see here. We did not talk about gold. I always like to talk about... I don't have any gold mine stories today. That's right. No gold mine stories. Sorry. Um, oh, boy. I think I just lost... Oh, crumb. I lost our article on Burl here. So I got I to gotta go find this. Just one hot second here. Like I said, first time, first take. That's just the way it goes. Let's see here. We're almost there. This is from our friends at rockandgym.com. They, um, you can sign up for their emails. Let me grab a swig of coffee here. You can sign up for their emails. Again, nobody that I've spoke of today is sponsoring the show. But they're welcome to contact me. Burl is a single mineral specimen that is colorless in its pure form. Impurities give it its color like many minerals. This is from our friends. You go to rock, the letter ngym.com. You can find out all about it. The ancient Greeks used the term berylos to describe the mineral beryl. It is a girl's name of Greek origin that means sea green jewel. So apparently they sea green was the first color. Um, the aluminum silica is what uh, it is mostly composed of. The hardness and color variations can vary. Color is the most important quality of beryl. Well, also uh, how uh, the clarity. Emerald green, aquamarine, blue, um, helidor yellow, morganite pink, and the most sought after are the most sought after. Uh, and then red burl, Bixbite, is very rare. It commands a premium price when of gem quality. Bixbite has only been found in two locations in Utah. The burl family consists of only one of four gemstones considered to be precious, which is the emerald. It crystallizes in a hexagonal system, forming large, often forming large six-sided crystals that are favored by collectors and sometimes found as mega crystals. The record one found was in Madagascar, 54 feet long, 8 feet in diameter, and weighed 400 pounds. Typically, this is a pegmatite. Uh, pegmatite is kind of like a cone that uh, forms up and uh, has mica schisk in it and uh, typical minerals. <laughs> The famous emerald is the oldest known of the minerals, emeralds from, oh boy, tongue twister, minerals from this area found in ancient tombs of Egypt. Um, some of the emerald mines come back from 3,500 years ago, and uh, it was said that Roman Emperor Nero watched through emerald glasses as gladiators fought. Burl uses uh, its mined as a major source of Berlinium in the industry. Berlinium alloys are used in aircraft, missiles, satellites, and spacecraft. 
Where do you find it? Well, it can be mined in the United States, which happens to be a major producer. South Africa, Zimbabwe, Brazil, Mozambique, uh, Tanzania, Colombia, Afghanistan, St. Luca, Madagascar, Zambia, India, Pakistan, Nambia, Nigeria, and China. A little bit of repetition there, but... Youthful Burl. Burl is said to have metaphysic properties... Um, but that is about it. The story comes from Richard Gross and Pam Freeman. And um, yes, a great place to find burl is pegmatite. There's pay-to-dig sites uh, in uh, South Carolina, also in California that I'm aware of. There's the Ocean View and um, other ones that you can go to and dig up um, either green in South Carolina or the Hiddenite. They call it Hiddenite down there. So you can go find this and, and pay to dig and actually bring home specimens with a little bit of luck and persistence. So guys, that's about it for now. My tongue is uh, getting tied up in knots. So thank you for tuning in. Until next time, remember, rockhounds don't die, they petrify. <laughs>